BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Indeed. Indeed. Indubitably. And indeed. And here we are. Yes. Yeah. We have made it. We've made it. Episode 62. Great news is that I actually have energy tonight. So I'm like, like I'm all whizzed up, I think on life and caffeine. Nice. And yeah. Yeah. That's good to have caffeine in your system at 11 PM. Yeah. I'm drinking more just to be, just to be <laughs> safe. Good. That's good. I, I hope yeah. our listeners like that. We've started divulging our typical recording times mm-hmm. <laughs> every single episode. Very, it is after good. midnight. It is almost midnight. I We're feel like, caffeine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like whenever I'm listening back to the recordings for editing, I can tell the nights that we're just like so gone <laughs> mentally. Yeah. I'm like, how did either of us manage to do any of that? But tonight <laughs> I don't feel that way, which is really nice. Tonight you're feeling ready. You're it's feeling probably good. because it's been sunny all week for the That's first time too. in like eight months. <laughs> oh, that's been so nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, nice. before we fall into the trap of talking about the weather. Oh no. Yeah. We is, can't do that. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a rough trap as much as everybody would appreciate it. I feel like we're much more interesting than that. I would hope. I would sure hope so. So we might as well ask the most interesting question we have ever oh, asked Kevin. on this podcast. What, what are you drinking? I'm, I'm drinking a little coffee latte thing I made <laughs> at 11 13 PM. Nice. What are you drinking? Nice. I went with old reliable Coca-Cola and fireball. Young regret. That's Young the name regret. of that drink. Oh, is it really? No, I, yes, but no, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Okay. I know what you mean. Cool. If nobody else does, I do. How is it? Young regret. Is it refreshing it's, it's to great. your, it's to your refreshing. Soul? I actually, I didn't realize that I had, um, like a double size of the little shooters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I poured the whole thing in at first and I was like, that is a lot of fireball. So I had to pour some back into the little bottle. <laughs> it's like, instead of young regret, because you didn't overdo it. It's like young, I don't know, like questionable decision making. Yeah. (laughs) It like is fireball ever a really good choice that remains to be seen. 
for sure. It's never really a bad choice. I mean, no. it can be a bad choice. It can be a bad it. choice depending on who you are, but it, you know, it goes it goes great with pop. Yep, I'm That's glad. For sure. I'm glad. Soda, Coke, whatever you call it in your homeland. Mm-hmm. All right, my love, why don't you share with us this week's feel good fact? All right. So the Animal Rescue League of Berks, Pennsylvania, launched a program in 2014 known as the Book Buddies Program, a program that invites children to come and read to the animals waiting for adoption. Not only do the animals benefit from one-on-one attention, but many children have grown in their reading abilities, enough so, in some cases, to jump reading levels, according to their teachers. Oh, wow. So, like, everybody wins. Yeah. Jeez. Isn't that like the cutest thing you've ever yeah, heard? That's amazing. I love it so much. <laughs> that's so fun. I it love it. is. I love how so many little things just kind of work together. Right. In that little situation. That's fun. Right. I love They're getting that. the little ones are getting reading practice. Uh-huh. And the animals are getting attention They're and just love. Getting to hang out. And I mean, I would assume that if that's a that's a smart, like not not necessarily marketing tool, but like if you know that your nephew has been reading to this same cat every week, yeah, <laughs> that cat's probably going to go home with your nephew. Eventually. Like it probably yes. has to. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a really great adoption tactic. That is a really great tactic. Our kids would eat that up. And we and would we'd end, end up, up with five we'd dogs. Have so many animals. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mm, yep. I well, love that one, yeah. though. I thought that was really great. That and more awesome. places should definitely do that. I love that. Oh, man. All right. Well. You got a story for us this week? I sure do. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so in 1977, a strange case came out of Chicago, Illinois. A woman had been found murdered in her apartment, and after months of searching for an actual lead with very little success, a clue came in that would crack the case wide open. A clue that is said to have been provided by the murder victim herself. Mm. This is the mysterious case of Teresita Bassa, the woman who solved her own murder from beyond the grave. What? Hang on, Kev. (laughs) This one is certainly a doozy. It sounds like it's going to be. Yeah. So Teresita Bassa was born in 1929 in the Philippines and was the only child of her wealthy parents. From a young age, Teresita excelled in school and in her personal interests and went on to graduate from Assumption College in Manila. In the mid-1960s, Teresita immigrated to the United States to continue her education. She went on to receive her master's in music from Indiana University. Despite her love of music, Teresita decided to pursue a different career path. She made her way into the medical field by going back to school and receiving on-the-job training at a Chicago hospital to become a respiratory therapist. Teresita also offered music lessons to children in the neighborhood, passing on her love of music to each of them. She was really sweet. She was one of those people that like, she kind of decided that she wanted to learn how to do something. And then not only did she learn the necessary skills, but like she mastered all of them. Hmm. She was one of those people that could just so gifted. Yeah. And like, I always call those people like expert learners Mm -hmm. because they learn the skills and can apply them perfectly. She's amazing. That's really cool. I feel like that's Teresita, like from everything I read about her. Yeah. That sounds like her. Well, and that's one that I've, I've, I'm I'm painting with a bit of a broad brush here, sure. but that is something that I've learned is kind of cultural to the Philippines as well. Mm-hmm. Is very determined and motivated. Absolutely, you are going to learn certain skills, 
and you're going to be great at them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think that's just really neat. There's something built embedded into that culture to yeah. want to be great at things. I think it's really beautiful. And there's like a there's like a push to pursue passion mm-hmm. from what I was reading, like about her family life and background. And I'm assuming it's not just limited to her family, yeah, which really is really cool. special. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really great. She was really special. So everyone from coworkers at the hospital to former classmates, neighbors, and friends all confirmed that she was a super sweet person who got along with everyone and that she didn't have an enemy in the world. Hmm. Teresita began working at the Edgewater Hospital as a respiratory therapist while she pursued her doctorate in music at Loyola University, Hmm. just casually pursuing her doctorate. Jeez, yeah. So here's a little fun fact about Edgewater Hospital. Frank Sinatra was once a patient there, and it was the birthplace of Hillary Clinton and John Wayne Gacy. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. The little more you know moment. That is definitely a really interesting... A little tidbit there. Yeah, yeah, that's a total aside. But for Teresita in the late 1970s, life was good. She was pursuing her dreams while maintaining a solid career, and it seemed like she was truly happy with where she was in life. That's cool. On February 21st, 1977, Teresita was just doing her daily thing. She returned home from work to her apartment located at 2740 North Pine Grove Avenue in Chicago. That night, around 7.30 p.m., Teresita talked on the phone with her friend Ruth Loeb and told her that she had a male visitor coming over. She didn't say the name of the man or why he was coming, but and, like, Ruth really Hmm. didn't ask. She was just like, oh, okay, cool. She, whatever, and they moved on. It was, was like, not really a noteworthy part of the conversation, but I'm assuming it was like, hey, I'm going to have to go soon. Mm -hmm. I have a guy coming over kind of thing. Yeah, okay. The two ended their call not knowing that it would be the last time that they would ever speak to each other. Oh, I know. About an hour later, Teresita's neighbor smelled smoke coming from down the hall. Marid and Catherine Nazi, which were her neighbors, quickly called the apartment custodian because they couldn't figure out where the smell was coming from. The custodian quickly figured out that there was a fire coming from Teresita's apartment, apartment number 15B. Mm -hmm. And so he quickly called 911. The Chicago Fire Department raced to the scene, but by the time they arrived, the hallway and other apartment units were full of smoke. Oh, man. But thankfully, they were able to put out the fire in Teresita's apartment within a few minutes and evacuate everybody. That's good. So there were no casualties of the fire. Yeah. Much to their shock, firefighters quickly determined that the fire had not been an accident. A discovery made when they found Teresita's lifeless body. Oh, man. Teresita was found under her mattress, naked, with a large knife protruding from her chest. Oh, my gosh. Just gruesome. Detectives were called to the scene, and it was confirmed quickly that this was a homicide. Mm -hmm. Not only had poor Teresita been gruesomely murdered, but whoever had done this seemed to have made some kind of effort to conceal their crime by covering up her body with a pile of clothing and then the mattress. And then each of those things were set on fire. Oh, my gosh. So there was like an effort there. Yeah, they were really trying to cover her up. Mm-hmm. Despite her body being nude when she was found, Teresita had not been sexually assaulted. But it was very clear that Teresita had fought for her life. Hmm. The apartment itself had clearly been ransacked and trashed after the murder, but they weren't immediately able to determine whether or not anything had been stolen mm-hmm. because she lived on her own and didn't have anyone else to kind of help verify if anything was missing or not. Wow. So during the investigation, it was quickly determined that the fire had done a notable amount of damage to the apartment and everything in it. So they couldn't really say one way or the other if robbery had been a motive in the crime. Hmm. Yeah. But they also kind of couldn't 
eliminate that either. Right. The only potential notable bit of evidence from the body was a note written by Teresita that read, get theater tickets for A.S., they weren't sure who A.S. was or if it was even a person, but they collected that note as evidence. Yeah. In the first few months after Teresita's murder, leads were hard to come by. Investigators spent time interviewing Teresita's friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, etc., and everybody said the exact same thing, that there's no way possible that anybody would ever want to hurt Teresita. Yeah. There's geez. no reason for it. Police issued statements to the public asking for anyone with relevant information to come forward, but were met with very, very little by way of like useful tips or leads. Yeah. They looked into recent ex-boyfriends as potential suspects, but everybody that they followed up with was cleared very quickly. Wow. So they're, they're, they're seems like they are um, just kind of, whittling it down to mm-hmm. this is not a premeditated thing mm-hmm. is kind of what it sounds like they're they're trying to get after. Yeah. And it seems like because there's such little evidence, their approach was to just kind of go by process of elimination. Yeah. Like which people can we yeah. eliminate from her life? That's where you're putting it. You know, yeah. is there some, it happens all the time where in interviews shortly after somebody that we love is lost, where like we see this all the time in true crime, where someone will say something thinking it's not an important detail. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up being really helpful later on. Yeah. And so. So just collecting the interviews yeah. gets some kind of information. Totally. Knocks people off the list that don't belong there. Mm-hmm. And then they have something to work with at some point. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They followed up on every lead that they got, but eventually the lead stopped coming in altogether and the case ran cold. Hmm. That is until July of 1977 when Detective Joe Stacula arrived at his office and discovered a note telling him to call the Evanston Police Department about the Bossa case. Hmm. Given the fact that they hadn't received any tips on the case in a while, Detective Stacula quickly went ahead and phoned Evanston. He made contact with an Evanston Police Department officer who told him that they had received a call from Dr. Jose Chua, who claimed to have had information about Teresita Boss's murder. So he quickly got a hold of Dr. Chua and scheduled an interview. Wow. Yeah, so it's just kind of like, hey, we're just going to follow up with everything at this point. Shortly after, Detective Stacula and his partner, Detective Lee Eplin, headed to Dr. Chua's home in Skokie which is a Chicago suburb, to have a little chat. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, I'm sure the our lovely Chicago <laughs> listeners will let me know. Please yeah. do. I, I know a lot of the suburbs in Chicago, but I don't know that one. So I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Well, that's... So I'll find out too if someone yeah. corrects us. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So when they arrived to Dr. Chua's home, he was polite and friendly, but both detectives could tell that he was kind of stalling on telling them mm. what he knew. Okay. The small talk came to a screeching halt when Dr. Chua took a hard left turn and asked them a very strange question. He asked them if they believed in the occult and the supernatural. Mm, that would be a very hard left turn. Yeah, because they're like like us, just casually talk. Maybe it's not that weird because they're doing, <laughs> he did exactly what we just did. Yeah. We're talking about the weather, then suddenly we're talking about Well, we crime and the supernatural. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And they were planning on that eventually. We were planning on it eventually. I, I do get that. Yeah. But it still is like... That would be a strange thing in a in a police interview. Yes, yes. The detectives could both intuit that this was Dr. Chua's segue into talking about the Bossa case, and they kind of exchanged a quick glance, both coming to an immediate silent agreement that this lead was probably another waste of time, mm. but they decided to hear him out anyways. Sure. 
After a few moments of tense silence, Dr. Chua told the men that he believed that his wife, Remy, had been possessed by the spirit of Teresita Bassa and that her spirit had given them information that could help solve her case. What? Still not. Wow. Isn't that? nuts. Yeah. So still not convinced by this bizarre claim, the officers listened intently to Dr. Chua's story, hoping that maybe he would be able to give them something that they could use. He went on to explain that his wife, who was also from the Philippines, just like Teresita, Hmm. had begun having dreams about Teresita shortly after she was murdered. She kind of tried to push the dreams aside, figuring that maybe she was like subconsciously hanging on to her few interactions mm-hmm. that she had had with Teresita at the hospital mm. and maybe like their shared heritage. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe it was bothering her more subconsciously than she realized that kind of thing. The two women had met and they'd had a few like casual brief conversations mm. at Edgewater Hospital because Dr. Chua was a doctor. Got at the it. same place yeah. where Teresita worked. That makes sense, yeah. They had bonded, like I said, over their shared heritage, and they exchanged friendly conversation on a few occasions. But Remy thought that her death just must have hit her harder than she had realized. So that's mm. why I'm having these dreams about her all the time. Sure. But one day, after laying down for an afternoon nap, Remy began talking in her sleep. According hmm. to Dr. Chua, she was speaking in a voice that was not her own and seemed to be either fully asleep or in some kind of trance. Oh, In both Teresita and Remy's native tongue of Tagalog, the voice told the doctor that she was Teresita Bassa and that she needed his help. She told him that she knew who had murdered her and that he needed to go and tell police. A man who also worked at Edgewater, Alan Showery, was invited to her home on the night of the murder. He was there to fix her television, but once he arrived at her apartment and the door closed behind them, he killed her. Remy made another desperate plea to the doctor to take this information to police before her voice returned to normal, and then she woke up from her trance. Mm. Dr. Chua described her as almost being comatose for the entirety of the conversation. Weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. After Remy came to, Dr. Chua was basically like, uh, yeah, babe, like, what? <laughs> what was that about? Right. Remy had absolutely no memory of what she had said. Dr. Chua explained what she told him in her sleep and how her voice changed and everything, but still, she had absolutely no recollection of any of it. Weird. Yeah. So feeling like this is way too strange and obscure to actually be useful to any investigation, Dr. Chua decided to try and forget about the experience altogether, Mm -hmm. but this simply would not do for the spirit of Teresita Bassa. Oh my gosh, yeah. About a week later, (laughs) Remy once again began talking in her sleep in that same unknown voice. Wow. But unlike last time, the voice was angry. Mm. The voice demanded an explanation for why Dr. Chua hadn't told the police about what she'd said about Alan Showery. Dr. Chua told the voice speaking through his wife that I've got I've got a science mind like I'm a doctor and I'm going to need some hard evidence that I can actually turn over to investigators before I even think about reporting anything. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't have any way to prove that this isn't just a weird subconscious thing happening with my wife. Yeah. I'm not going to go tell the police my wife had a dream, you know? Yeah. This is also a very like strange setting to, <laughs> to witness. I'm, it, I mean, nobody was there to witness it, but if you could witness it yeah, to see a doctor talking to his comatose wife, as if she's somebody else arguing with her. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, making a plea for more information. It's just, it's not funny. But it's it has it's curious. It has a very yes, has a very curious just kind of the 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 scene that I picture in my mind is like, wow, that would be I wouldn't 
maybe I would laugh nervously, but it would be like not comical fully. It would just be like, uh, like this is so strange. Kind yeah, of I would feeling. be afraid. Yeah. I think I would definitely be afraid. Yeah. So interestingly, the voice actually had something more concrete to give the doctor. She told oh, him wow. that her murderer had stolen some very specific pieces of jewelry that were passed on to her from her parents. Her father had bought the jewelry as gifts for her mother while they were in France. She also gave Dr. Chua names and phone numbers of people nearby who knew about the jewelry pieces and could verify that they did belong to Teresita. Wow. So if they could find Alan Showery, maybe they could use the jewelry to help tie him to the crime. Mm -hmm. If he had it anywhere on his person or if any of the nearby shops would recognize him as somebody yeah. who came in and pawned these specific pieces. Yeah. So after getting some level of proof to back up the bizarre claim that a ghost had possessed his wife <laughs> and had given him a useful tip, yeah. he decided it was time to come forward. And really, I feel like we have to consider this. He kind of risked his reputation yeah. in the process of doing this. Yeah. He was also beginning to fear that if he didn't come forward and tell the police what he knew, that whatever it was that was going on with his wife would keep happening. Hmm. And so this kind of felt like this is a way out. And like yeah, maybe sure. if it does happen to leave, like lead to something useful for investigators and maybe Teresita and her family can get some answers and some justice, then it's kind of a win-win. Yeah. So he's like, all right, fine. I'll take it to the police. Yeah. So I'm curious, and maybe you're going to get into this in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Why did he specifically say, do you believe in the occult? Because I don't know if anything that's happened so far is occultish. Yeah, so I don't know if Dr. Chua was also from the Philippines, but I do know that there is like an extremely diverse culture, mm. like spiritual culture in the Philippines. And so like, you know, like lots of folklore, lots of different uh, kind of viewpoints on how you view the spiritual mm -hmm. world, your own soul, world, just worldview stuff. Yeah. And so my assumption is that if if he's coming from a place of like, diverse spiritual background, mm -hmm. then it might be just a politeness sure. to ask, okay. like, okay. do you believe in this or this thing? So he's not specifically leading into this is a cultic or this yeah. is okay. supernatural. He's just generally asking, do you believe in supernatural? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. He, no, that I makes like a lot of sense. He was trying to like be inclusive <laughs> like yes. a little bit, like yes. just in case. Well, and he was, he wasn't necessarily making a direct point right. by saying that. He was just kind of like, "Are you going to be open?" The conversation. Yeah. yeah. Are okay. you going to be open to something very strange and not every day? Because that's yeah. what I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Okay. That kind makes of. sense. Okay. I get that now. So the police were dumbfounded. Yeah. They definitely never received a tip like this before, and so they had to decide whether or not they were actually going to follow up on it. And that's when they remembered the note that they'd found at the crime scene. The note that said, get theater tickets for A.S. The name hmm. Alan Showery could be the A.S. that Teresita had written about. And so they're kind of just like, what hmm. the heck? I mean, we haven't had a solid lead in months. So let's just look into Showery and see if it reveals anything. Yeah. When they ran a background check on 32-year-old Alan Showery, they were surprised to discover that not only did he live near Teresita, but he also worked at Edgewater Hospital. Hmm. While he didn't work in the same department as she did, those are two connections to the victim that Showery had, and so they kept digging. Wow. They started by chatting with coworkers of Alan Showery, and multiple people confirmed that they had heard Alan talking about fixing Teresita Boss's TV shortly before she was murdered. Hmm. Which is very strange. Wow. That correlates with what Dr. Chua said. Yeah. 
This piqued the interest of investigators who went over everything they had and decided it was time to meet Alan Showery. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc when they arrived unannounced at his home he and his girlfriend yanka were home but obviously a little bit startled about the police just kind of showing up on their doorstep yeah Shauri and Yanka were both polite and cooperative, so when Detective Stacula and Eplin asked Shauri to come to the police station to help them figure some things out in the BASA investigation, mm-hmm. Shauri agreed, and okay. the group just headed out. He was like, yeah, sure, I can help. Yeah. So when detectives first asked Alan directly about the night of Teresita's murder, he initially denied ever going to her apartment. But he quickly changed his story and admitted that he had gone over to her apartment on February 21st, once police told him that multiple co-workers had overheard him talking about going over there. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, crazy. I can't believe that I forgot about that. Yeah. I totally did go there, did I guess. go over there at one yeah. point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said that he'd gone over to help fix her TV, but once he got there, he realized that he'd forgotten a tool that he would need to do the job. And so he told Teresita that he'd have to just come back another time and fix it then. He said that he went straight home after the two said goodbye because there was an electrical issue that needed to be fixed at his own apartment, Hmm. which kind of seemed like a little bit too convenient to the officers. So they decided to take a brief pause from the conversation so they could go chat with Yanka without Alan present. Hmm. Yeah. They thought like, okay, maybe we're on to something here, but the only way that we can know for sure is to keep on digging. Mm -hmm. So let's see if the girlfriend can corroborate Alan's version of events. Yeah. Detectives relayed Alan's story to Yanka, and not only did they not have any electrical problems in their apartment at any point, but she basically laughed out loud at the idea that Alan would have had, like, any know-how to fix a TV (laughs) or any electrical issue. She, like, pretty much laughed in the police's face when (laughs) they said that to her. Wow. So next, they asked her if she'd been given any new jewelry since February, and she's like, yeah, actually, I have. Hmm. Alan had given Yanka two pieces of jewelry as a belated Christmas gift at the end of February, a pendant necklace and a gold ring with a pearl. Oh, boy. Very specific jewelry. Yeah. They asked Yanka if she would mind heading down to the station for a follow-up interview, and she readily agreed. So she was very helpful. That's great. While they were on the way, they contacted the people that Dr. Chua had believed would be able to identify the jewelry if it had, in fact, belonged to Teresita. Immediately after each of these people arrived, they all agreed. The jewelry was 100% Teresita Boss's jewelry without a shadow of a doubt. Wow. So holy cow, a bizarre tip from a ghost just gave them their first actual lead since the beginning of the investigation. It's like, this is one of those like, what's the luck Mm -hmm. kind of moments? Because it's such a weird tip. Yeah. 
So they went to talk to Alan again and told him what Yanka had said and that they knew that he had stolen the jewelry from Teresita's home and the jig is up. Mm-hmm. Like it's in your best interest to start being honest and open about what happened. Yeah. And just like that, Alan Showery confessed to the murder and gave details about the night of the crime. Wow. Wild. He told investigators that he had made the decision that he was going to rob Teresita. He'd been struggling financially. And so when he learned that she was having problems with her TV, he offered to come help and fix it for her. Mm -hmm. He was like, kind of saw it as an opportunity. Maybe I can get in there and steal something. Yeah. She had planned on buying theater tickets for him as a thank you gesture, which is what the note was about. Oh my gosh. And I, I'm assuming that he told them that. Yeah. That like he had said like, yeah, she told me she would do that as a thank you. She's just a sweet lady. When he knocked on the door of apartment 15B, Teresita willingly let him in. And as soon as the door was closed and Teresita had her back turned to Alan, he attacked there are not really any clear details on how the actual murder played out. But from what I read, he jumped her, took off her clothes, grabbed a knife from the kitchen and stabbed her directly into the chest. He told them that he had removed her clothes to make it appear as though she'd been sexually assaulted in an attempt to throw off the investigation or slow it down. Yeah. So he admitted to that part as well. Hmm. After killing Teresita, Alan ransacked her apartment in hopes of finding money and valuables. And along with the jewelry, he managed to find a whopping $30 in the apartment that he also stole. Wow. Teresita Basa was murdered for $30. Man. That's just like. Gut wrenching. It makes me angry. Yeah. And sad. And so fresh. She was such a special person. Like with so much promise Mm -hmm. for $30. And she was kind to him. And so, she was going to so be frustrating. even kinder. Like, I know. She was really thinking that like, oh, this is like such a nice guy. I better show take him good care my gratitude. Him. Like, yeah. yeah. And he just beat her, murdered her, robbed her, and didn't even rob her with a lot. It, I know. It's really stupid. It I, is so stupid. It makes stupid. me like, I just, it, it just, my disposition towards it is to be like, dude, why mm-hmm. like do, do you really think that this is going to be the the best thing and you know we've talked about this uh i think even on the podcast before is the whole question of and then, then what, what? Mm-hmm. yes exactly for someone to say okay if i do this sequence of event sequence of event da, 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 then what's going to happen you're just right. going to like get away with it you think for like literal murder and i mean i guess maybe it's good not good but like it probably benefited him in the sense of he might have gotten away with it um that he stole so little because mm-hmm. if you know if he had a new tv or right you know an extra two thousand dollars that he deposited Immediately, like 30 bucks isn't going to like tip anybody off. Well, and that's why I said earlier that they couldn't even tell if robbery had been a motive at all. Right. They knew the house was trashed, but they couldn't tell if anything had been stolen. Right. But unfortunately, robbery sounds like was the motive. Mm -hmm. And it was just the worst person to rob, apparently, because she didn't keep much cash on hand. And Mm -hmm. he didn't even consider that being a possibility. I know. Which is really sad. Really sad and also really stupid. Yeah. It makes me angry. Dude, like. Just idiotic. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. He then laid her under the bed, covered her with clothes and set them on fire. And then he placed a mattress on top of 
Teresita in the pile of clothes, and he set the mattress on fire as well, thinking this would conceal his crime and eliminate any evidence. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Alan Showery was quickly arrested and charged with the murder. His trial began on January 21st, 1979. While awaiting trial, he had changed his story a few times. Mm-hmm. At one point, he said he had felt coerced into confessing, and so he pled not guilty to the murder. Mm. And so after a four-week trial, the case wrapped up with a hung jury, and a retrial was quickly arranged. Sure. While he was in prison, waiting for the retrial to begin, Allen decided that he did need to plead guilty in an exchange for a lighter sentence. Mm. As soon as he'd issued a guilty plea, rumors began to spread that he did so when the ghost of Teresita Bassa appeared to him in prison and scared him into pleading guilty. Oh my gosh. But the truth is that his lawyer told him that it would 100% be in his best interest to accept a plea deal, which would help Mm. lower his jail time. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. Yes. On February 23rd, 1979, almost two years to the day since he committed the crime, Allen was sentenced to 14 years for the murder four years for robbery, and four years for arson. And so in all, he was looking at barely more than 20 years. Wow. For all of that. Oh, my gosh. But in 1983, four years after receiving his sentence, Alan Shari was released on parole. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like any of it. That's like, like I, we've talked a little bit about plea deals on the podcast, and like there's a there's a time and a place for a decent plea deal. Mm-hmm. I can be, I can accept that. That feels way too light. Just in general, like. I'm surprised he was eligible for parole so early because it seems like his, it didn't, it didn't say which, um, if he was charged with second degree murder or what. Oh, okay. But it seemed as though there was very little premeditation to it. Like it seemed yeah. like he just wanted to rob her and maybe it got out of hand. Could be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm speculating, obviously. Yeah. But it's so surprising to me that somebody who could snap in a moment and kill somebody yeah. would be eligible for parole so soon. Because I don't know. I couldn't find any anything about his background, mm-hmm. like if he had a criminal history or not mm-hmm. or if, uh, any any violence in his history. But it just seems so odd that somebody could just kill somebody one right. day and that they would be eligible for parole so soon. Right. And that it would be granted so soon. It, it's, it's, yes. It's confusing to me to think about someone who, even if you would say it doesn't seem like it was like a totally premeditated murder, he still like offered himself up to yeah. go fix a TV that he couldn't fix. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a premeditation there. But he might not have gone in with the intention to murder. Sure, sure. The intention was to rob, but like, at what point do you say, well, you still murdered her? Right, like, right. And you still premeditated to do a crime, and the premeditated crime just evolved into something worse. Yeah. Like, Lawyer listeners, give us yeah. some insight, because this is a confusing—I feel like this case is kind of confusing in that way. Yes, it And was I can find, no, like, no transcripts from the court. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't look hard enough, but— yeah, it's like I the don't question know what of he like, had claimed in that. It's regard. not like he killed somebody in self defense. It's not like he killed somebody in a in a in an unfortunate manslaughter mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. He he murdered somebody and then tried to hide it mm-hmm. by setting some place on fire, mm-hmm. which is another crime. By right. the way, right? Like I'm just really confused at getting such a light sentence in general and then also 
getting out of parole for four, after four years. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really confusing. both of those things. To say he had a 80 year sentence and he only had to serve 20 of it because he got on parole. I can mm-hmm. be like, uh, weird, but okay. To get a 20 year sentence and serve most of it, which is still vastly under what a murder probably should be. Okay, I can get it. He served most of his sentence, good behavior, whatever. But it just, when it crosses that line of getting all of that, mm-hmm. I'm just like, is there something else going on here? Like, this just seems very light. Right. His whereabouts today are not confirmed, but many people believe that he relocated to New York City after his release. Hmm. As soon as the details of the case went public, people were abuzz across the United States, Canada, and beyond, wondering out loud if it's possible that the ghost of Teresita Bassa had truly risen from the grave to help put her killer behind bars. Wow. People were split. Many people, including the police on the case, believed that there was no other explanation for how Remy Chua could have known the details that she had shared with them about the case. Details that would ultimately lead to the case being blown wide open— Mm-hmm. After five months of a yeah. dead-end investigation. Yeah. While they had admitted that they were still skeptical about the world of the supernatural, they did truly believe that what Remy and Dr. Chua had told them was the truth. Mm-hmm. But others were not quite as convinced. The prevailing mm-hmm. theory is that Remy knew Teresita better than she had let on initially, like when she talked to police about it. Oh. For a time, she had actually also worked in the respiratory therapy department at Edgewater. Hmm. They didn't work any shifts together, but it's possible that there may have been some kind of overlap between shifts where the women may have formed like a a casual friendship over the years. Um, It was also learned that Remy had worked in proximity to Alan and coworkers have also admitted that he had made people feel legitimately scared on plenty of occasions. Hmm. So the idea is that Remy had a gut feeling that Alan Showery had committed the murder. That gut feeling was supported by claims that Alan had been talking about fixing Teresita's TV around other coworkers shortly mm. before she was killed. Wow. Yeah. Due to her fear of him and fear of the possible retribution that would come if police decided to tell Alan that Remy was the one who had suggested that they look into him as a suspect, she decided to concoct a story that would, one, push police in his direction mm-hmm. since she very likely sincerely believed he was the murderer. Yeah. And then two, it would get her off the hook from any negative consequences of making an accusation. So I have to say that Remy Chua 100% denies that this is the case. Mm -hmm. She claims to have no recollection of sleep talking in Teresita's voice. She never made anything up. And her husband has also maintained the same version of the story that he told police in the decades since he first came forward. Wow. So they're like, you guys can think we're not, we're making this up. Yeah. But like, this is just what happened. We don't get it. Yeah. This is what happened. Hmm. And the truth is, is that this case received almost no media attention until the Chua's came forward with their supernatural claims. This resulted in the case not only spreading around the world and becoming a focal point of people's conversations, but also in the case eventually getting solved. It is, as we've already established, Arguable that justice was never served at all, given the terms of the plea agreement and the fact that he was paroled so quickly. Yeah. Teresita's story aired on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries in April of 1990 and was one of the few cases on the show up until that point that had been solved. Hmm. Their primary focus was the supernatural elements of the story. Right, right. It's also been written about in books and casually mentioned in other TV productions over the years. 
Regardless of your personal beliefs in the supernatural, the one-of-a-kind story of Teresita Bassa is undoubtedly one of the most unique investigations in modern history. Mm-hmm. After her death, Teresita's remains were sent back to the Philippines, and she was buried in her hometown. Sadly, there's not much information about her funeral services or about her family or friends after her passing, but Teresita will never, ever be forgotten. And that is what I have for you today. Wow. So I have one thing that I think is worth maybe just kind of talking through for a second, because I feel like this is actually a really good setup for maybe future stories. We've touched on this in the past mm-hmm. is the involvement of uh like mediums and other kind of spiritual mm-hmm. persons uh in murder cases because mm-hmm. it's it, it's not uncommon it's not where it's really not someone claims to have a vision or claims to have been visited by somebody and then they bring that forward and the vast majority of the time it seems like it doesn't lead anywhere. Right. But this is one of those cases where I would wonder if like, maybe not this was the first time it ever worked. And so then it started blowing up. But the seventies, I mean, before that, I can't imagine that that was super common. Mm. Maybe it was, and I'm just out of the loop, but sure. Yeah. I'm curious, like kind of what you think about that and just the whole sense of did this case, especially cause you said it kind of became a global conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, is that, this possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did this case kind of springboard maybe for a lot of people to who 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 practiced that kind of I from my knowledge there are other cases where there's some spiritual element that actually mm-hmm. did help uh in an investigation in some way or another. Oh, okay. Um psychics, I'm always leery when I first see that there's a psychic who has a tip. Yeah. Half the time, the psychic has a tip after the reward money is upped. Like, sure. that's when a psychic typically has a tip. <laughs> sure. So it's like, I'm skeptical of that, just kind of by default. But I'm I'm open to just about anything being possible. Mm-hmm. I think in this case, I'm torn. Yeah. I, I think that the explanation that most people believe about this ghost story being kind of like a carefully concocted thing by the Chua's makes a lot of sense Yeah, to me. I feel like that's a way to preserve his reputation in a, in a sense. Yeah. It's a way to make sure that they're not like she, um, like if Remy was very stressed out about going to the police, like I have anxiety about going to the store sometimes. So the idea of being like, I'm going to help (laughs) you solve a murder is very anxiety inducing. Just the thought of it. Yeah. Um, of being in the hot seat, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And so that could also be an explanation where he's like, okay, we're get you. It has to come from you Mm -hmm. because you're the one who was in proximity with Alan. Sure. And so you're going to have a dream and a vision and we're going to talk it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that is what happened. I I do. Okay. I don't like being like, I don't believe people. I never want to dismiss people's claims, but I, in this case, I am more convinced that, this was an act of self-preservation while also wanting to be helpful and like sure. hopefully see justice. Sure. And generally we would suspend disbelief mm-hmm. in most of these cases, but I asked you outright. And so yeah. to hear that is kind of like, okay, it, it totally makes sense that they would go that direction with mm-hmm. it. It also maybe adds, I don't know if they would want this necessarily. I don't know these people, but it adds some family lore at some point, right. which is kind of just fun. Yeah. And like, it's kind of an interesting, like, family history anecdote kind of a situation. Sure, sure. I don't know that anybody would actually 
really like love that, but mm-hmm. you never know, depending on how people view uh, that kind of stuff just in their, in their family lives and mm-hmm. what have you. Um, but yeah, I thought that was just kind of an interesting piece to be like, that was the first thing that came to my mind is I'm like, why would this be a random person and not a medium, not mm-hmm. a psychic? You right, know? right. It just kind of jumped at me. And then of course it begs the question. When, when that does happen in general, why? And mm-hmm. I do think it's possible. I think, I like I said, I think yeah. just about anything could be possible. Can any anything and everything that is possible be proven? No. Yeah. No. And so that's where suspension of disbelief and faith and things like that come into play. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in this story, my hunch uh, is that two very well-intended people crafted a story. Mm-hmm. And it did what they wanted it to do. Yeah. Because people are still talking about this case. And this is another element where it's like, this is a woman of color Mm. in a city. I don't know exactly what Chicago looked like in the 70s crime crime wise. Mm. But like nobody talked about her case until the truest story hit the media. Yeah. And so it's like, it is really tragic that it took that for people to care about it. I do get it. It's like, you don't hear about this every day. Of course, people are going to be fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like it does kind of paint a picture of how vast of a chasm there is and how true crime of different people groups, Mm -hmm. uh, different ethnicities, genders, orientations, religions, et cetera, get reported on. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Teresita deserved better even before the Chua's decided yeah. to stick their hands into the story. You know, yeah. it's just, I don't know. All the way around, I think there are things about this element or elements about this story, excuse me, that are very unsettling to me beyond just the crime. Sure. Like there's so many like cultural, societal things behind it that make yeah. me really sad. Yeah, I get that. So, but yeah. Well, and is, it sounds, yeah, just to just to summarize, not summarize, repeat what you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Teresita was a really special person mm-hmm. and had a lot going on that honestly is mind blowing yeah. and impressive mm-hmm. and to have that taken away is really sad. I know. And so to have justice in some form served is, you know, at least something and we can at least remember her for mm-hmm. what she did and, yeah. and be thankful for that. Yeah. So agreed. Wow. Well, for our listeners, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling, unsavory story today. This one definitely lands more in the unusual and then unsavory as well. Uh, for me, anyway. I don't know about you. I would say unusual, unusual is the top tier. For unusual. Sure. I guess unusual makes sense because that was why it got so popular. Right. <laughs> because of the unusualness of all that. Right. If you have not already, please make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite listening platform and leave a glowing five-star review. And hey, maybe you want to leave a five-star review on every platform. Hey. What are you mad about that? We did have like a little mini blast of of really nice five-star reviews recently. Awesome. So thank you for everybody who's done that. And if you haven't, it actually really does help us a lot yeah. when you do. Yeah. And I just got a notification earlier today that uh, we broke, either we were right at or just broke the top 50 on good pods for indie true crime, which that, is pretty cool. ebbs and flows. Yeah. But it is really cool to see, yeah. to see that. So that thanks cool. to everyone listening over there. Yeah. Well, you can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok and Instagram at this one is a doozy. And on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. You can also connect with us even more directly over on Patreon. 
my dear, why don't you tell them about Patreon? Yes. So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or in our Facebook about section, or you can go to patreon.com slash juicy pod. And for $5 a month, you'll get access to all of our content ad free, as well as Patreon exclusive bonus episodes Mm -hmm. twice a month and polls where you can help us decide on things like episode topics and which monthly organization we will be giving to. And next week we will be announcing the recipient of April giving. So if you want in on that, you still have a few more days to join us on Patreon, go vote and help us decide what we're going to, what we're going to give to. So yeah, we'd love love to have you there. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.